0: the man of the house and here I am I'd lost my job and you know who are you now it wasn't until I I faced up to it and and fronted it and, and actually started to own it a bit through David's conversation through eventually being able to talk to my wife about it and moving forward you know I was a miserable pity was something that was was part of who I was for a
1: long long time and Tag and myself, or myself with other mates, we'd catch up in the pub, we'd watch the footy and we'd kind of escape our problems rather than address our problems. And send a would be going, well, how's Tag? And go, I go, I don't have a clue, but the Swanies won last night and the beers were good, you know? Dad has recently had some health complications as well. He, he dropped
2: his guard with me. He took me to the airport on Monday and he said, Andy, I'm scared. It's the first time I've thought that my strong dad is, is going down that path. And he said to me, thank you for taking me into your world. He said, that was awesome yesterday. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Hey, it's Andrew, and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, the podcast about all things human performance. David Eccles is a doting father, husband and co-founder of WNOW, When No One's Watching, an award-winning free support program for men's mental health. He's passionate about living a healthy lifestyle, music and sport. David has three amazing children and he's married to an Argentinian, yet they don't eat meat or drink alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to talk about that. Ty Canelli is also a proud father, husband, and W. Now co-founder. He won both an AFL Premiership for the mighty Sydney Swans back in 2005. We met a couple of years before that, we'll discuss that today. And he also won a Senior All-Ireland Championship medal for Kerry in 2009. Now an Academy coach at the GWS Giants, still can't really get my head around <laughs> seeing you in GWS colours, Ty is driven to help men drop their body armour, be their unique selves, and challenge toxic masculinity. Together, these two Irish lads are committed to making a difference in the world by helping men feel comfortable in their own skin, by becoming better people, better fathers, partners, sons, brothers, and mates. In 2002, they were awarded the New South Wales Mental Health Commission's Community Champion Award for their service to men's mental health. Irish lads, welcome to the podcast. What a welcome. Yeah. Thank you very here. much. Well, Great big welcome. Because you, you're having such an impact. Now, we did meet, I reckon it was 2003, and I was a runner for the Sydney Swans. <laughs> Dave Misson, or in sport we have nicknames, add an O and E, a wire and animal. <laughs> <laughs> so Misso said, so can you come and run with these guys? It was still on the back, I think I'd finished track running a couple of years before, and I thought, oh, we'll get to footballers, AFL footballers, I'll smash them. I was blown away by the midfielders and how fit you guys were. So it was it was a great opportunity to basically run for you guys in some of the track sessions. A big part of it is getting people that can run obviously running back
0: run or elite runners to actually we used to call them rabbits, you know. Yeah, and rabbit. Dave and Rob yeah. Spurs, who took over after from Dave Misson, we used to get these rabbits like yourself in and we'd chase them down. And it was a good encouragement for us during the preseason. But yeah, it's part of the game. You've got to be able to run, you know, which is it's a good part of
2: uh, football. I like that term, rabbit. <laughs> now, we were introduced by another Irish lad. Now, big shoes to fill. Last year, Wizard, four of our top five podcasts, Irish. You know my grandfather, Paddy Flynn, so whenever I catch up with you guys, I, I think I even try and yeah. start doing the jig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So big shoes. Shout out to Kieran for introducing us as well. I went to a Now session at Marubra Beach last year And I was blown away because Kieran said, come along, see these guys. And I hear it all the time. No disrespect, but there's this movement building. You guys do something different. I was moved. I could see the men on that beach were moved. But let's go back to 2021, Ty, an article in the Sydney Morning Herald. You were not in a good place. You'd lost your assistant coach job with the Sydney Swans, and you were feeling pressure to provide for your young family. I get that because you're the high performer. I think you're the only person who's won an All-Irish and an AFL medal. Yeah, yep. You were also drafted to go and play for the Rovers. Mm-hmm. So you could have rounded out all three. <laughs> <laughs> but the high performer, you said in this article, I was known as a resilient man. I guess that's an Irish thing, but probably also a sports thing. Show no weakness. And so I wasn't talking to anybody about it. you want to pick up on that?
0: Yeah, look, it takes me right back there, just telling the story itself. And it's very true. I, I was a person that uh, achieved a lot I suppose I was living a life where I'd always put up a guard and um, I'd show no no weakness. And that moment when I lost my job, I was so vulnerable and I'd never been more vulnerable in my life. Now, I had some tragedy in my life, but the fact that I'd lost all control was something from an athlete perspective and a high-performing person where I felt I was always in control of things. It took me into a really dark place and I didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't know how to get out of it. I spent probably six weeks not wanting to leave the house. I'd felt everyone was watching me and looking at me. Oh, there he is. He's just after losing his job, he got the sack, basically. And um, it was until David reached out, or Eccles, David. <laughs> I recently started calling him Dave for some reason, but it, um, Eccles reached out and you know, I said, do you want to catch up? And I just started, I suppose, unloading a bit on, with, with Eccles and I wasn't i was—I wasn't able to unload with my wife. or I felt like I was a really connected person until that point when I wasn't really connected. And, and it wasn't until they reached out and I started going through, uh, I suppose, a process of unloading and, and talking. And, and we, we met up and we started doing some exercise and having a coffee and just having a chat. And I, it helped me deal with the, the I suppose, the disappointment a almost like a loss. But it's also helped me move forward in a way that I don't think I would have moved forward if I hadn't lost my job. I probably still have that guard up today. and. It's, it's, it's strange the
2: way things work isn't it, in, in the world. I read it took you two years to say that lost my job, yep. sacked. Was your story, your narrative, you know, I was outplaced. You, you, you couldn't actually use those words, sacked? Yeah,
0: I couldn't because it felt like it was out of my control. And I spent a lot of work in the past two years working on myself and dealing with the perfectionism that I have and trying to take control back of my own life and the things that I can control. And, you know, being cross had a bit of an influence on me on that piece and working and and researching on myself and as a, as an athlete and a person, whereas I think being in a background where I, where I grew up around the resilience piece about sucking it up and don't show any weakness. And, I'm an emotional person and and I struggled with that a lot throughout my playing days and coaching days to be able to show that emotion and I didn't know how to deal with it and I dealt with it with drink really I suppose when I look back on things what I did during my playing and coaching days to deal with not talking and not showing my emotion and I think the past two years I'm such a better person because I've been able to come to terms with it and being able to take control back in my life and I wasn't able to do that up to that point and It took me a long time to say the words I got the sack. And because there was a lot of anger, there was, you know, I still felt like I had control if I said I'd lost my job or, you know, but the fact that it was someone else that took away something from me, it was a big
2: part of me moving forward and the statement in my life. And I get it as well the role identity, just Mm. trying to get in your shoes. You're, You're drafted at 18 or 19 years of age. You go all the way across the world to play AFL, you win a premiership. Then you go, right, I'm going to go back to the motherland. I'm going to go win a flag there. You win that. You come back here and you play at a high level again. Then you get into coaching. It's perform, 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 perform. And then you drop. When you're an AFL team, there's 44 players. So you had 43 mates as well as support staff, coaches, and everyone who wants to hang around. And then you go into coaching, you've still got that infrastructure. Then you don't. And then COVID hits. And then you're told, you're sacked. Those skills you hadn't trained. So many men haven't trained. And I, I resonate with this, you know, a little bit about my story. I was good at sport, good at school, good at relationships, you know, worked in sport, and then went through a marriage breakdown. I felt like a failure coming from an Irish Catholic background. Mum and dad are still together. I didn't have those skills and I hit rock bottom. I, I get it. When you were there though, in that six weeks, take me back to that place.
0: Yeah, it wasn't a healthy place. I, I remember the phone call itself from, from, from John Lombard and Charlie Gardner, the football manager at the time, and I was in utter shock. I just didn't know how I could deal with it. I was, what's happened? It felt like my world had really crashed, and I took myself straight to my kids. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to help my kids? Uh, you know, we've we've got these financial burdens. We, it was straight to my kids and to my wife. It was a bit less me initially. It wasn't about me. It was more to to the provider the old mentality of the man's got to provide and I went there and, and that's probably because of my upbringing and you know the big the man of the house and here I am I'd lost my job and you know who are you now and and that's where I went for a long part of the, the whole thing you know and it wasn't until I, I faced up to it and, and fronted it, and, and that's probably the, the sporting analogy came to lean into the discomfort of it and actually started to own it a bit, through David's conversation, through eventually being able to talk to my wife about it and moving forward, you know, I was a miserable, miserable, and and pity, pity was something that was, was part of who I was for a long, long time, and... It wasn't a good place, and I wasn't good for myself. Certainly, wasn't good for my children. And, and that time in the world, but there was a lot going on with COVID, and we were isolated a lot. And my wife's looking at this man inside in the house that's got a lot of self pity. And, you know, just I'm a high energy person, and it was just the life was sucked
2: out of me. And when I read that story, because knowing you, seeing you, even the way you play, like you, you you do the Irish jig, you'd have a bit of fun, you're, you're always a bit of a lad. So to get to, to bottom out like that, Yeah, your family, your 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 wife and kids. I'm sure they were looking, thinking, "What's going on here?" Yeah, they were. And my wife, we talk about it
0: now since you know she didn't really know how to handle it herself because she was used to seeing this high energy, high bubbly, fun, which is very much who I am now. And you know, a lot of my purpose in my life is to be a a playful dad. That's one of my big key pillars in my life is to be a playful dad, and I wasn't that. And I think when I went through that whole experience of botting them out basically the dealing with the failure was a big piece because of my performance as a footballer and an athlete and also the getting away from the identity of being a footballer was another piece of actually trying to um, heal uh, and I've managed to do that since the whole thing has happened but at the time I was it wasn't a healthy place and I've got unbelievable admiration for my wife because of the time of what was going on she was uncertain about her own job we got three kids new house you know all these things that are going on But there's our husbands it's you know sitting in the bed that's not wanting to get out of bed in the mornings you know which is unbelievable admiration for Nicole
2: hey it's me Just a quick note, I'd love you to subscribe to the Performance Intelligence Podcast. And I know, you probably hear this on so many other podcasts, and like me, you switch off. But can I ask you to please go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. And while you're there, extra bonus, leave a rating and review. That's it. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. We could do a whole different podcast on role identity inextricably linked to self-identity. I know so many athletes, you know so many athletes. When you are the job, when you are the role, that's where it comes tumbling down when the role goes. We might leave that for another podcast. Eccles, I'm wondering how you got involved in this whole story, because when I look at the background, you're from Northern Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. You're from the bottom part of Ireland, yeah. you're County Kerry, and you're County Tyrone, seventy miles outside of Belfast. My understanding is in Ireland you guys never ever would have got together, never would have chatted. So can you go back? Where did you two meet? Where did this where did this bromance start?
1: Yeah. Historically Kerry people would have been afraid of Tyrone people, I think, <laughs> and, 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 and not have come near us. But uh, I get emotional when I used to hear tag's story around the space he was in, in the power of a phone call, and the power of helping out and reaching out for a mate. So, and he always shares that story, and I think it takes bravery to share the story, so thanks for that. But where did it start? There's photos of us going back, both when we had hair, in pubs together, with drinks probably after Swanies match. So we, we kinda, we bumped around the same social circles here in Australia for years. We started playing six-a-side soccer together, I really enjoyed Tag's company because most people see Tag Kennelly the footballer and Tag Kennelly the sports star and would speak to him about the Swannies and so on. But the conversations I was always having with Tag was around family, was around having, was kids, was connection to home and always a little bit deeper. So we played six or eight soccer for years and then it was... Whenever tag could let go by by Sydney Swans, that I started thinking that I know there's the the public tag that's the larican, but the private tag can be quite a deep thinker. So I was thinking it might be just the moment I need. So reach out. It wasn't to start a movement like W Now, it was to reach out as a friend just to see how we are. We were catching up for lunch every week. We were putting on uh, too many kilos, catching up for lunch every week, and, <laughs> and, and he would never shout lunch. No. <laughs> so, so my wallet was getting hit. So uh, uh, then we ended it's up Tight, tight, tight
2: patty. So, never met <laughs> uh, well
1: So we ended up just flipping it and saying, hey, let's catch up for sunrise on a beach on a Wednesday morning. So we went from Friday nights in pubs to sunrises on a beach. Uh, and the first sunrise we were on a beach, we went, hey, this is pretty good, you know, we should invite a mate along each next week. This is sounded like a Mills and Boone novel. We went from nightclubs to <laughs> walks and sunrises on the beach. It's beautiful. We'll put some back in music. Yeah. To quiz. <laughs> yeah, the most romantic moments of my life perhaps have been with this one. So, uh, but... Um, yeah, so it, it's it's just grew from there, you know. So we invited a mate along each the following week, and now it's 500 people across four locations, but.
2: 500 people, four locations. So I know you're in Maroubra, the original place. We were at Balmoral this morning bloody freezing (laughs) in in sydney i know it's you move to norway if you think it's cold but the wind chill factor this morning but was it was awesome and we got some footage which we'll share with people as well so you've got marubra balmoral where we were i know you've got the gold coast and bondi and bondi
1: yeah 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 so we've bondi launched as well but Balmoral this morning, that was the coldest morning of the year, and it's also the uh, winter solstice tomorrow, so almost the darkest morning of the year, but that was record numbers in Balmoral this morning. So it's great to see people coming out, and each chapter is growing week by week.
2: In the same Sydney Morning Herald
1: article I was quoting
2: before... As I'll call you now, Eccles said, we kind of realized, I'm trying we kind of realized. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents would be ashamed of <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were close I'm to like giving you grade an grade. Irish passport until <laughs> that point. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Uh, we'll put up subtitles yeah. for anyone who doesn't understand. Uh, we kind of realized that our wives would go to coffee with a friend and they would know everything about each other. But man, we go to the pub and we chat about the footy, but we don't really know everything about each other.
1: Yeah, similar to Tag, so much admiration for my wife, Cynthia, but Tag and myself or myself with other mates, Tag with other mates, we'd catch up in the pub, we'd watch the footy and we'd kind of escape our problems rather than address our problems. But I'd arrive home and wake up on a Saturday morning and this was, I'm now somebody that doesn't eat meat or drink alcohol, but this was back in the day and Cineby going, well, how's Tag? And I go, "I, I don't have a clue, but the Swannies won last night and the beers were good, you know? Whereas Sin would be catching up with her mates or catching up with uh, Nicole, catching up with her mates and they would meet over a coffee and they would have life's problems sorted or at least discussed in half an hour. And it was, we've heard Tag's story and how I helped Tag, but Tag's helped me out as much as I've helped him. I was going through.
2: You were struggling at that time too, right? I was
1: struggling at that time for sure. Yeah. My second was born Harper. I have now three kids as well, but my second was born during COVID. She's the apple of my eye now. She's my only girl. Can you have a favorite? <laughs> she's yeah, the apple I of I know the answer to this, my but I want you to try and get it out
0: on our so we can actually have some evidence and we can send this in. She's absolutely <laughs> my favourite daughter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, I, I tell all my kids, uh, you're my favourite, and then Michaela, who's just turned 15 and Archie's 12, they were talking and they realised, you know Dad tells us that we're <laughs> <just laughs> <my laughs> favourite. Like, bastard, Archie came
1: out and said, Dad, you're so bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Harper, who is my favorite girl, um, my only girl, the first year she didn't sleep, she was awake every hour, every two hours. Riley, my eldest boy, had sleep apnea, um, so he was often awake. Uh, it was COVID, so we couldn't go anywhere, to, we had no outlets to get rid of the stress. It so was, It was a really difficult year, difficult on my wife, she was breastfeeding, difficult on myself, nobody was sleeping in the house but we'd be catching up with tag either by phone when we couldn't meet or a coffee and just his advice of being much older than I with wisdom uh, and three kids as well. Just being able to say, mate, everything's just a phase, you know, Uh, it mightn't feel like a phase at the minute when you're in the middle of it, but trust me, it's just a phase. And then we came out of it as well. So his advice to me helped me probably through one of the darkest moments I've had also.
2: And now you've created a, it's a movement. Yeah, it's, it is, and it's pretty strong. And
0: I've struggled a lot with the word well being, you know, and trying to it's being used. And it's, and, you know, a lot of people ask us, what is it? And, you know, um, trying to describe it or trying to help people to bring people down, you know, and, and we say it all the time. It's a min movement focused on social connection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And loneliness is a big problem in, in society. But at the time when it started, we really didn't know what we were doing. You know, we were inviting a mate and we were almost researching on the goal and, and figuring out what it is we have and, and what's the, the piece of goal that we got in our hand. And the more we're involved in it, the less work I see in this area the, and the more work that's needed for, for men and, and, and loneliness and connection and, and suicide. And there's a lot of issues with where we're going right now around going to practitioners and, and and medicine, and let's let's try and get to the root of the problem before we get to that phase and get to that stage. And you know, we've spent two years almost working on a product as such. I don't like saying that word either. I find it sound very commercial. You're on brand, lads. Yeah. You've got it, are are,
2: aren't we? <laughs> no, did, you didn't even. Like, I've worn green. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've got into the Irish mode and neither of you bastards commented me. Come on. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we need to go to the green, don't yeah. we? We've got to change the... in uh, yeah. the got Just go, go to the green man. The man. Now, on loneliness, yeah. I've got some stats here and mm. it is, it's not great. One in four Australian adults report feeling lonely. This went up to one in two Australians during the COVID pandemic. We know loneliness is linked to mental illness, emotional distress. It's a higher likelihood of dementia and dissatisfaction with life in extreme cases. People are to take their life. It's connected to poor health behaviors, increased smoking, physical inactivity, poor sleep, high blood pressure, and it, it stuffs up your immune function as well. Your, your nervous system gets jacked. This one's fascinating, not in a terrible way. Loneliness, extreme loneliness, is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes or six alcoholic six alcoholic drinks per day. Like what it does to your physiology, and it's associated with a 30% increased risk of heart attack and stroke. Like th- it's just th- those stats, and I think when you give numbers like that and go, "Oh, he's lonely, she's lonely, oh, they'll be okay." There's a difference between when you wanna have time alone, like as a father of four, father of three, sometimes you want some isolation, self-enforced, which is nice, but when you don't have the choice, like when you didn't have the choice about employment, when you don't have the choice about connection, it just, it, it weighs you down massively. And this is not just Australia, it's global. The UK has a Minister of Loneliness. United Arab Emirates has a Minister of Happiness. I think that says a lot about mm. those cultures. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the miserable <laughs> English. But but all jokes aside, this is a challenge. It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. One
1: hundred percent, it is. Yeah, Doctor Fehack Murphy, the General Surgeon of America, has produced a white paper which is which is the best I've ever read. People that are chronically lonely live fifteen years yo- uh, fifteen years less than those that aren't. One in three adults, he says, from America uh, identify or have, have been identified as being lonely, but two and three teenagers have identified as being lonely. So it's it's something that's getting worse as we get...
2: Which is uh, ironic because kids are now more connected so digitally why, yeah. than ever before, but they're more isolated because they're... They not, can't reach out. They don't have the skills to actually communicate properly. <laughs> and the skills that you learn as a high performer and what you didn't learn is that life is up and down and we know this in sport if you had a, two kids you're going to select and one kid's had a charmed life you know, been driven to school in the bentley other kids same skill level but they've come from a, a lower socioeconomic group and they've had hardship you will pick the kid who's come from hardship because they'll have more grit more resilience and they'll bounce back but we're not we're not getting some of these experiences when you're cocooned in a, in a digital
0: world which is hard because as, as a dad to three myself you, you you want to catch them, your automatic reaction is when your kid falls, basically, literally, is to catch them. And it's hard to let them fall and let them experience it. I see it myself in the school and in the academy work that I'm doing, and you know, it's helicoptering parents, parenting that we have. is It's not helping the younger generation. It's not helping build resilience. And we think it is as a parent, and, you know, you – Dealing with young sports people as well, coming in, you see the difference now in the approaches that they have to the sport and the way you approach it as a coach and how different you have to approach things and the mentality and the motivation. um, So, So tell me about that,
2: between when you came through the system and now, the difference, how you have to coach, and running parallel with this it just pisses me off. And we're allowed to swear a little bit on this podcast, lads. You're being very polite. <laughs> oh, Irish, here we go. Give us a license to swear. pisses well. me off. Yeah. Yeah. These participation awards for coming 10th. Because it says everyone's average, mediocrity is rewarded, and if you don't work hard, you're going to get a fucking ribbon. Mm-hmm. And if you do get work hard, you still get a ribbon. So what are you going to do? Be a lazy ah, – yeah, get off my hobby horse. What do you see that's different now about kids coming through the system compared to what you did? The lack of resilience. Clear lack of um,
0: resilience because the parenting is about controlling situations that they feel like they're in control of, that they don't want their child to hurt or to fail or your child's having a it comes home from school and they're having a had an argument with a friend and they're ringing the per, they're ringing the teachers to move class or the child gets to the 19 20 21 22 and goes into the working world and can and has had a, an argument with someone in the office the parent can't ring the boss and say can you move so we're actually not giving any life skills to young people whatsoever social media is is another problem with it clearly the in the young women's part of the world I see in the school that I'm at, you know, the, the influence is enormous on clearly the looks and it's such a problem with young women and as young as 11, 12, 13 years of age with eating disorders, it's blown me away and and I can only conclude it's social media and as far as the influence of what's happening. Now, that's one problem. I'm a, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but the, the piece around building young, resilient people, very different to when I started... No, I was extreme probably. Yeah. <laughs> I was there was no cuddling and there was no emotion and, and, and it was suck it up and it was probably it was a take you back, there was a time when my my grandfather was dying and um, he was seventy two and he was born in nineteen thirteen. He was a tough agricultural man, farmer a had, um, had 13 children. You know, Wife was- Thirteen? Yeah. was a good Catholic man. Wow. Lived near a train uh, line, uh, didn't In a, <laughs> a two-bedroom house. Uh, so I was a, a farmer. I was tough. My dad's dad, obviously, but he was pretty much on his dying bed. And it was one of my earliest memories as a young man around, and he hugged my dad, and I was seven, maybe eight, I think I was seven, and for me to see that in a man that was- I. I didn't realize it at the time, but I've gone back there numerous times as a teenager, as a, a young man in high level sports and I play a bad game. I didn't play many bad games, but I went back to that piece of I'm an emotional person and it kind of gave me a bit of a license. And I was like, how am I such an emotional and person? and um Again, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but the resilience piece that I was brought up, just suck it up, be tough, you know, you would be right, no blood, there was very little emotion in our house, very little communication in our house around difficult things that went on in our lives, and that's one extreme compared to a piece that I'm battling with right now with my own kids, how do I give them the balance of, you know, lean into that discomfort. Mom, don't, don't ring the teacher. Let let, let my daughter and my son figure it out themselves. And okay, if it gets to a point, we'll cuddle them. But let them lean into that discomfort. And I'm battling that
2: myself as a dad at the moment. I think we all do. But yeah. Did you both remember how old were you when your dads told you that he loved you? Was it, was it growing up? Like as a young kid, did your dad always tell you? So for me, I remember the first time my dad said he loved me, it was my, I was in my early 20s. Because dad had grown up, his father was post-World War II off the farm out central west New South Wales, a place called Forest Reefs near Orange. So I was about 21, 22, and dad for the first time articulated, I knew he loved me, but he said those words, and I felt awkward. And and I did for years when I'd go home at Christmas, they were at Dubbo, you know, country New South Wales and uh, at Dubbo, and they're on the Gold Coast now. When I see Dad now, I, I give him a hug and say, I love you. But it took me so long to articulate that without feeling weird. I tell my kids I love them all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think I overcompensate. But did, did you yeah. did you have your parents, i start with you, Dave. Did, did you remember growing up and your, your father especially openly say, I love you, with those words?
1: Yeah, I think in the Irish, the normal Irish house, the mother is the matriarch of the family. My father was... My father passed in two thousand and nine, but but dad was absolutely the the loving, caring father. Um, uh, so uh, love love from dad was was uh, from a pretty early memory. He was real jovial. Uh, def- definitely shared love with the kids. But I I I think of the resilience piece growing up in the north of Ireland and we grew up in the troubles and I grew up in the eighties and nineties, so at the tail end of the troubles. But dad would have would have seen and been more aware of what was happening than I was as a young kid, but he never passed that on to us. But I often think now that the affection he showed towards us was because what was happening outside the front door of the house might not have been that good. So whenever he came back in, like you say, you you would well, like tag says here that he he loves his kids and he hugs his kids and he tells them all the time. I think I often saw that from dad and I reflect on it now thinking that's maybe what was happening mm. and the outside world made him really show his love to us that little bit more, but do you remember uh, yeah, growing up in? No, just-
0: I, my, my dad was quite an emotional man, but we didn't see a lot of it. And I got to know that a bit later as I, I was getting older in my teenage years. And um, my dad passed away at 51, a young man with a heart attack, and was a successful Galley footballer, played a lot of sport. And I'm almost a mirror image of him with the way he kept his emotions to himself. And um, it wasn't until 2005 when we went home, and I had a civic reception back at home, and they gave me the keys to. Kerry basically and I was speaking and I looked over my dad was crying and he left the room and it was a huge moment in my life to understand that the love I always knew he loved me but never articulated to me that he loved me you know an, an emotional man which
2: um I was unfortunate to lose him as a young man
1: that's young right?
2: Like, and mm. I read that I thought well, that, that oh, that's mean a year like if you, mm. you're mm. in a few years mm. right that's so young yeah
1: but we, we often talk about our fathers are both our heroes. It's one of the things that, that bonded us, you know, is that we've the same we've the same respect and love for both of our fathers. They were absolutely our heroes, but it's what we're trying to do now. They with full respect to our fathers, they're not they're not our role models either. The the, the life they lived in the eighties and nineties, they, they couldn't be as engaged as what we are now with our kids. They couldn't share their emotions like we can share emotions no, so we're trying to rewrite a little bit what it is to be, uh, what it is to be a man, what it is to be a father, what it is to be a husband. But our fathers were our heroes, but with full respect to them, not not the role models. Not I, I like movie. how you've
2: positioned that, Dave, because I'm sure there'll be some men listening to this and, and women as well, because when women understand some of the challenges men have, it's going to mm. make it much better for relationships. That's right. Whether it's work or personal, but it, it's not that our fathers didn't love us. They just didn't have the skills. So mm. effectively, we've had an iOS upgrade. Back to something Ty said, it's almost like we flipped the opposite with kids. We've gone from tough love, too hard, you know, harden the fuck up to everyone's wonderful. Have a ribbon. There's there's a balance somewhere in between. Just go back to an article Ty I read. You made it back to Listerwell for your father's passing. He holds a sense, or you hold a sense that you've never really got to know your famous dad, man to man. You were a boy when you left for Sydney at 18 years old. And when your father passed away, you became very angry towards Australia because you didn't really get to know your dad.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah I suppose like any young man, you grow up idolizing your dad. You know, most if if your dad was a butcher, you're a butcher. Your dad's a doctor. You're a doctor. And that happens quite often, you know. And I was not different. The fact that dad had been so successful as a Gaelic footballer. And then I'd felt at 18 when I left, you know, you feel that, the eighteen, you go in your twenties. That that's the stage when you really get to know your, your your dad. And I felt that Australia had taken that away from me. That was my decision to come out here. Funnily enough, my mom didn't want me to come out whatsoever, and I don't understand it. <laughs> As an 18-year-old, got the other side of the world, but my dad was go for it. You know, if he'd said no straight away, I would have, I would have not went. You know, but he was the one who was encouraging me to go. And I think at the stage between 18 and 22, when he passed away, that I felt the country taking away that opportunity for me to really get to know him. And that was in my head at the time of dealing with the grief. I was real angry. I played footy, really angry. I wasn't a, I wasn't a great young man whatsoever. And um, that was probably the way I dealt with death and people deal with it differently clearly um but it was just a shock to the system the fact that we'd won the flag in 2005 one of the best personal years of my life will always be remembered for my dad's death in 2005 and eight eight weeks after coming over to the grand final he passed away with a sudden heart attack and it's i think it's every expat's worst nightmare to to get a call in the middle of the night and that's what i lived through as a 22 year old I was in the house asleep and we had a house alarm and I was living with a, a teammate of mine, Stephen Doyle, and he's, he's six foot eight and his the, the fire alarm went off in the house around the time my father passed away and we both woke up and said, like, What's this? And he's turned it off and it's made me think a bit about my spirituality and, and, and Christianity and, and whatnot, the moment that when he passed away I went back to bed and half an hour later I get a call from my brother saying my dad had passed away and huge influence in your life obviously going forward and and dealing with that grief and being the other side of the world and being helpless taking two or three sleeping tablets on that plane didn't work you know i was just in a in an utter shock and i I remember arriving home at the house my uncle picked me up from the airport and i actually didn't want to go into the house i just didn't want to believe it was it happened and uh, it was that stage i went this is it. This is it. I'm going to have to go and see my father sitting in a coffin at 22 years of age, which is, now I'm getting a bit emotional, but um,
2: it's difficult. Yeah. There's glass of water there for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> On the beach this morning... And we'll talk about the, 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 the way you set up the, the sessions. But you do an introduction and then you do a fitness session. And you, you're a shit at counting. He like <laughs> said it's going to be 45 seconds of burpees. And he didn't have – did you see that bit, Wizard? He had to have the timer. And I'm thinking, hey, come on, mate. Get your timer sorted. And you do an exercise session. And then you have a circle of trust. Yeah. Now, first thing when I heard that, I, I did think of Gaylord Fokker. <laughs> Do you remember people yes, say that, yes, meet yes. the Fokkers? Yes. yes. <laughs> like, here's the circle, <laughs> and that's this you. This is us. <laughs> uh, but then you, you finish the exercise session, and then you have a circle of trust. And then you step inside the circle and share what's going on. Good, bad, indifferent. There was one guy that shared this morning about sobriety and you you could just feel the quiver in his voice. And I was just watching around. I was watching you, Dave, and I could see you were running two filters. One, you're looking at the group and you're looking at him to make sure he was okay. And Ty, you were doing the same. So I was watching you, what was going on above the surface as well. And you could just see as this man shared his story and then stepped back, I saw him take a big breath and breathe out. And I just thought, wow, you guys are creating something you can't even explain unless you're there. You get that every week. Yep. What it, do you reckon your dad is thinking when he mm, looks down on mm, that? i proud
0: because I suppose he he passed on skills without us knowing it and without me knowing it, without him knowing it, sorry, more so that he hasn't had the joy of seeing at the time. But I made a video and just sent it off to the group and how proud I was at a group this morning afterwards. We see it every week and it's, it reinvigorates us um, it reinvigorates people in the group. It quantifies to us what we're doing also, which is very hard to quantify to get funding or get things. But the impact that we're having is it's so rewarding, but it's, it's, it's even deeper than that. It's, it's a level of connecting men that we had no idea what we were doing. I still think we don't have an idea of what we're doing. <laughs> you know, I feel like we're winging it at times. We've spent two years probably working on a piece that we've landed on what it is and how it works and how it looks. But the sharing piece is so powerful for men because go back to the point around when we get to, my wife goes, out 20 minutes for the coffee and she comes back and she has unloaded everything about our f- best friend. I'm five hours in the pub with Eccles and I have no idea what's going on in his life. That... 20 seconds, often it can be just step forward. We see men come down, they've been coming for years, and they don't step in. And then they step in, and to your point around that, that weight. It's like watching you physically take a backpack off themselves. I just watched
2: him breathe this morning. And he just breathed out. And, and you could just, you could feel like the, the group, right? We could feel the connection, but just with that young man, I, I just thought, he's he's owning this, and he feels so proud of being able to say that, to say, hey, I was an alcoholic, and it's fucking hard. And he spoke about some of the other things he turned to. And I just thought, wow. And, I, and Wizard, I looked at you, because you know, I said, come along this morning, mate, and film. And then I said in the car, what do you think? And you said. Yeah, no, I said I was blown away by it. I thought
1: that was a, a crazy story that he had, and it was great that he could share it like that. Do you, do you know the powerful thing is it's, every week there's a crazy story as wizard says and it's the the part we surveyed recently surveyed all of our members and we asked them why do they come down do they come down for fitness do they come down for number one was social connection number two was mental health and number three was fitness Mm -hmm. so even though if you're walking past you see us doing 30 minutes exercise in a beach and it might look like a boot camp sometimes that's not why people come down people come down because of what happens in the circle of trust or what happens around the coffee and conversations after and to, to rewind. Even it's the, what W now is we just create safe spaces for men to be able to engage and to be able to see tags. So we have, we see tag playing on a Friday night on a Saturday night for the swans in the day and he's ripped and he looks great and he's, he's bulletproof. You know, uh, we put sports stars up on this pedestal as being perfect. But the power of when Tag comes down and shares his story on the beach, you can. I just look at the faces of everybody in the circle and everybody's jaw drops and they're going, Well, if it's okay for him to say that he's not okay and that he just wants to share a story, that gives me permission to step forward and say, You know what? I'm having a bit of a shit time as well, you know? Or the flip, a lot of people step forward and celebrate stuff as well. Yeah. But that's what I like as well. It's not. It- it's not just people saying, Here's what's wrong. Mm. Yeah. You've got both. Here's yeah.
2: what's going well.
1: Yeah. And it's just it's that social connection is really key. I think, you know, it's that I think as men we're 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 quite bad or we're definitely bad at making deep social connections. I've shared more with this group on a Wednesday morning. These guys are only one step away from being strangers. Some people are coming down for the first week. But there's a freedom in sharing your story with these people, you know? And then you end up getting a deeper connection with these people and friends that I've had for 30 years. Because the friends you have for 30 years, you go to the pub. How's it going? Yeah, it's going great. The wife's good, the kid's good, work's good. <laughs> Let's watch the football, you know? I think most but, blokes resonate with that. Yeah. I was
2: laughing a an athlete who became a good mate of mine, Stuart Clark. Uh, His He's nicknamed Safrez. Mm-hmm. We'll catch up and his wife, Michelle, uh, after we've caught up, she'll say, oh, how's Maisie? He'll go, yeah, good. How are the kids? Oh, I don't know. So now whenever we catch up at the end of the conversation, uh, how's Michelle? <laughs> how's the kids? Here's something to play back. Because she would say, my partner would say, "Like, what do you talk about? Like, we're just nothing. We just, just hang out and, you know, just reflect. Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging. That's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on neuroscience and behavior change, mental skills, and leadership and culture, or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com keynotes. On reflection, I, I need to ask you the same question. I don't want to miss that moment. Dave, what do you think your dad is thinking, looking down on what you're doing?
1: Extreme pride as well. So my father was a pillar of a community. He worked in a pharmacy in the, in the middle of Oma, County Toronto, his whole life. From he was 17 to he was 72. And everybody in the community would come and see dad. So dad was the dad was the community man, and that's what I really get from him if he would see, we're building communities here at the minute. Like I come from a small town, there's 10,000 people in my town. Dad would know all 10,000 people. I probably knew a lot of them. You come to Sydney, six million people live here. You're lucky if you know five people, six people. So you can be deeply lonely. So to take my dad's spirit and what he did around building communities and to bring that to Sydney, if you can't find your community, you build it. And I think that's what we're doing here.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And there was an incident that happened when you were a young man in Omar, as I mentioned. About 70 miles outside Belfast, you spoke about the Troubles. A bomb went off one kilometre from where you were. Do you want to pick up on that?
1: Yeah, well, you've good researchers.
2: Uh (laughs) Uh, Luba finds some stuff out that some people go, where did you find this? Uh, I think you mentioned that in a, a story for ABC that maybe didn't go to air.
1: Yeah, so 15th of August, 1998, uh, my town is Oma, County Tyrone. There was a bomb in the middle of the town. So the IRA uh, drove a car into the middle of the town. They were supposed to park it up at the courthouse. Uh, The bomb was phoned in to be up at the courthouse. So the police pushed everybody down to the bottom of the town. And that's where the that's where the bomb was because people that were driving the bomb panicked and parked it in the wrong place. So the people were on top of the bomb. My as the crow flies, my house is probably six, seven hundred metres from where the bomb. I was happened to be leaning out the the top window of my mum and dad's uh, bedroom at the time. I was supposed to be in the town with a friend called Kieran Martin. But I I I just bought the No Limits cassette and I wanted to play it. <laughs> I wanted to play it for him. Yeah. So I said we'll we'll go up the town in a couple of minutes. But we were dancing around the house, dancing to No Limits. I had my head out the window for some reason. I was blowing in through the window. My dad was in the middle of the town. My mum and sister had just went up the town. So I left the house. I went running up the town to try to find everybody. I found mum and Natasha, my sister, going back to the house, but couldn't find my dad. And my dad... What seemed for hours, I don't know how long it was, but dad didn't return to the house for a long time because he was helping people go out to the hospital and so on. So it killed 29 people and it basically ended the troubles in Ireland after that. It killed Catholics, Protestants, people from the south of Ireland, the north of Ireland, young and old. So I think after that, everybody said enough was enough, but... Uh, First time I've talked about this publicly, actually, but it's probably the most pivotal moment of my whole life, I think, was I was uh, 14, 14 and a half, nearly 15 at that time uh, when the bomb went off. And it was just to see uh, the positivity that surrounded the aftermath of the bomb. So communities coming together, it didn't matter if you were Catholic or Protestant, we all came together didn't matter if you were young or old we all came together and looking at sport and looking at tumor how do you get over a tragedy like that so being able and because so many people were affected by the bomb there's not enough doctors or psychologists or whatever to go around a community like that so to see the healing power that friends can have on each other uh, and the community can have on each other was was really powerful family of origin is fascinating
2: whenever i work with a coaching client And you talk about some of the areas they're struggling or some of the areas where they're they're flourishing. And you ask a few more questions. So much of it goes back to when we were young. Mm. You've built a tribe outside Mm. of AFL. Mm. It's called W now, And you don't kick around a footy. You you kick around emotions and feelings and support each other. What you saw with that bombing and the, the families coming together and the connectivity can't help but think that, imprinted upon you just how important it is to have that connection and community and when you both went through a challenging time with Eccles reaching out, the seed was there and I just, I just love that you've both been authentic. I love that we're having this conversation as men. I love that you said this morning the word love as well because I heard Gus Walland, I don't know if you've listened yeah, to his yeah, TED, talk. Yeah, no, I haven't. It's TED Talk. It, it's okay. phenomenal. I actually want to get Gus on this podcast mm. as well and he says that if for men and women, but tell people every day that you love them. Like ring up a couple of people, and you said this morning that you've been saying to your mates, "I love you." And Wiz, I said to you recently in a podcast, we were talking about love, wasn't it, with Jason Doll? And I said, "I love you." And then the wizard came back. I don't get paid enough for this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but
0: yeah, yeah like, like to people that are listening, i try it. Like try it with your mom. Try it with your dad. It's just. It, it takes so much courage for you just to tell your parents that you love them it's one of the best experiences you'll ever do and then from there obviously trying to say to a mate you know i love you and it's uh it's empowering for you and it's um i've said it to a mate recently who has gone through some challenges with his 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 wife you know so partner and um you know it's <laughs> it's so powerful for you but it's just as powerful for the person that you're giving it to and you know I love doing things for the people and I feel so rewarded by giving and doing things for the people and that's what probably WNO is and that's where the I love you piece to people because we often say to the group don't underestimate a text message or a phone call or or just reaching out to someone what it could do and we know the numbers and we know the loneliness but saying I love you to someone uh, I never thought it'd be so hard <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I, I I tell Tag I love him nearly as much as I tell Cynthia, my <laughs> wife. So, uh, Cynthia's going, well, what are you guys <laughs> really? <laughs> guys? Yeah, <laughs> if somebody read, yeah. if somebody read our text Sun, messages, uh, Sun they all on them, but, and uh, telling each uh, other you love each other, but matching jackets, <laughs> right, <laughs> matching hairdos, <laughs> matching hairdos. Yeah, <laughs> uh. but it, it is it is the power of connection, you yeah. know. And it's I'll share the story. I I lost my best friend tragically. He was best man at my wedding. 18 months ago and I wish I could I wish I could have another phone call with Phil I wish I could tell Phil I love him but um but you can't you know so it's the we always urge people on Wednesday mornings just to pick up the phone if you're thinking of a friend just pick up the phone and tell them that you're thinking of them because you don't know if you'll get that chance again so and you don't know the power that that phone call might have like Mm You go back to the origins of this, like I never realized when I sent Tag the message, the severity of what he was going through or, or the ripple effect about what would happen next, so.
2: Yeah, and you, you don't know what other people are going through. And one thing we haven't spoken about, it wasn't in my running sheet either, but is suicide. And I've known a couple of people who have taken their life And then you just – one ex-girlfriend, I still can't believe. She was a psychologist and she wrote wonderful work around mental health and and everyone just said Lou was this wonderful person that brought light to their lives. And she jumped off the cliffs um, near Northcliffe and I I still can't make sense of that. And I spoke to her a month before. She was happily married, had two kids. And I think back, like, did anyone – say to Lou outside, I love you, uh, here's what you've done for us. You know, is that, we talk about compassion fatigue with mm. caretakers and givers that you give to everyone else but you don't get back. I'm sure this topic comes up a lot in the work you do around suicide as well.
0: Yeah, we check in
2: a lot with each other. The, the whole thing is, at
0: times can get quite heavy for us with people leaning on us and, and engaging us in conversations and we're consistently checking in and probably the most giving person you will ever meet Eccles he will give the shirt off his back certainly this morning when it was freezing cold he was willing to give it up but absolute giver of of a gentleman and consistently checking in on each other because it the weight of conversation sometimes for us and people reaching out to us can be heavy and we've been very conscious of it and I talked to Gus myself reached out and said how to deal with it because I was kind of struggling with it myself when we were starting this and he was very much about trying to Disconnect from it if you can and, de- and have, have a way of dealing with it, or else it'll just wear you down. That's good advice. And it was great advice at the yeah. time. Because and- you're facilitating the conversation, but you, you're not carrying the
2: person. Yeah. That's en- right. Em- and we're not psychologists f- to be able yeah. to deal with that. Yeah, empathy versus sympathy. Yeah. Sympathy is I'll, I'll get down there with you and I'll carry you. Mm. Empathy, I understand. Mm. Here's some support.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where we've got to with it, you know. But consistently checking in with each other is a big part
2: of what David and I do. Mm-hmm. Hey, you gave me your jacket this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I went down pretty light. I had shorts, a t- top, and a light jumper, and I think you saw me shivering. I'm finally yeah. fine, old, are you, Actually, yeah. yeah you take yeah. The jacket. <laughs> on it. And, but what was funny, Eccles, is two people come up and one guy hugged me and he said, oh, "Thanks, Tyke." And I turned around and went, oh shit! <laughs> so I'm getting the hugs for you this morning. Same similar height, same hairdo. It
0: was great. Uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're a good looking man. It's
2: all I'll say. Um,
1: uh, around the suicide base, I'm sorry to hear about your, your, your ex. We see it in, in W now for sure. I'm not trying to own suicide being a middle-aged man, but we look at the stats and suicides increasing globally. It's at an all-time high here in Australia. Three out of every four suicides are male. And the demographic that's increasing the most is men from the age of 25 to 55, so so our age group. So, And suicide's a barometer for mental health or mental ill health, but you can measure suicide, obviously, as a stat. Um, so I think that shows where we are as a nation at the minute, mentally, or or, or how we're coping with that. So the, r- the piece around social connection and loneliness, the men we're speaking to, that's what people are suffering from the most at the minute. So by being able to create communities that are non-judgmental, that people can come down and share their stories. We know that's having benefit for people. We've personally had five conversations with people that uh, were having suicidal thoughts and it can be worked through it definitely can be worked through uh we we're we we do not solve the problem there are doctors medication and so on but you do need community you do need social connection so we can really play play a role in helping somebody on that journey
0: and the whole piece is are breaking down i still feel there's a big stigma attached to it you know and there's a lot more awareness and there's a lot more going on but when you get deep down into conversations with men and oh, i'm not going down there i'm not having to talk about good or bad and W. know it's not just men sitting there in a, in a depressed state. You know, there's men that are healthy and in great form, and, and, and there's the balancing piece, but the stigma is still very much alive. You know, and there's an undercurrent I still feel with men, and and, um, which is going to take a long time. Takes time for myself and generations of my fathers and forefathers trying to break down. Are you okay? Reach around, you know. And I've recently started to hug more and just start really going for the hug people and just get in there and get in their grill, basically, which is probably not good after COVID. (laughs) But but there's, there's, there's still a stigma there, and. To David's point earlier, we we put sports people on a pedestal, and you know I've been starting to reach out to really high level sports people to get involved in this because we do put them in a pedestal, and it just will set the trend for men to be
2: feel comfortable to actually get on the front foot and lean into it. Sometimes those athletes and other performers on the pedestal struggle more mm. because when you haven't got a stadium, let's take the MCG with a hundred thousand, it's ridiculous centre bounce for an AFL game in Melbourne or the first day of the Christmas test. It's electric. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, i thought you have. You got that. Ed Cowan was sitting exactly where you guys are, and Ed said the feeling he got opening the batting for Australia on Boxing Day with 100,000 people, he said, I'll never get that feeling again. But what he's learned to do is substitute that for another passion, which for him is his family and also business. So you're not going to get the high. So I, I think elite athletes, are at risk of dropping even further because they've had the massive range. If they don't have the skills, they haven't done the reps and sets around this. And I think it's great that you're bringing some elite athletes. Have you looked at building this program into sport? No, I haven't. I've talked about it a bit, all right, with yeah, David. It I certainly can, I isn't. can think of a few ideas as well. Yeah, right? let's,
0: let's talk off air. Yeah. <laughs> but certainly amazing <laughs> because you're right, I see it with a lot of my own friends that have played the sport that will fall straight off the cliff. And, and it's no offence to the football clubs that are involved with but. Their objective is to win and get the most out of that athlete and drive them as hard as they can. And and I understand that and we get it because it's such a cutthroat industry and high performance is is that. You know, it's it's that ability to try and compete higher and, and better and, and you know do it efficiently, better than your opposition, you know, and you're always driving for that. And then they're going to drive you as hard as you can. And as an athlete, that's what you're going to do. You're going to drive and get the most out of yourself. And then when that support's not there, and that identity piece, which you we were talking about earlier, can be very difficult to deal with and certainly something that we should
2: probably start to lean into a bit more. Yeah, we'll have a chat about that off air. I'd like yeah. to support you guys on that. When you did the Circle of Trust this morning, and we'll play the footage on that now so people can actually listen to how you set up a a psychologically safe place for men to step into.
1: It's a great opportunity if you're new uh, to step forward and introduce yourself in the group. Uh, If you want to celebrate something, it's an awesome time to celebrate something. Or if you want to get something off your chest, it's an absolutely brilliant place to do it. Completely confidential, completely non-judgmental. It can be daunting to step forward and get something off your chest that's happening, but just focus on one foot and the first word and the rest will flow. So if there's anything in there that you want to get out, uh, you won't regret getting it out here now. So the floor is yours.
2: So I love how you set up that framework and you obviously do that and you teach other people to do that as your empire is growing. And we're going to talk about how we support you to grow and get more, more chapters up around Australia. But in a recent ABC News clip, this is on the 7.30 report, Tony said he'd hit rock bottom and he didn't chat to anybody. He was angry with the world, angry with himself, and his perception that the world was black and white. So let's... Let's listen to what Tony had to say as well. Rock bottom for me is basically where I'd isolate. I wouldn't chat to anybody. I was angry with the world. I was angry with myself. Um, My perception on the world was black and white. It was was actually grey. If anything, there was no colour whatsoever. So you're just drinking all the time. So what's it like to have this now as a coping mechanism once a week, twice a week? Uh, This is is like the best, I would say the best shot of tequila I've ever had. (laughs) This is without a tequila though. Another member, Jim, lost his dad recently, and he said the group's informal nature has helped him to be more vulnerable and to accept loss, but also to lean more into love.
1: You miss your dad? Yeah, I miss him a lot. You know, there was a beauty in losing him too, which was just the just how much it showed the rest of our family is connected to each other and how much love there is there. So yeah, tough thing to go through, but he's. Uh, his memory just makes me smile. Yeah, much better to be able to to share, but you also get the opportunity to be there to support other people too, which is always really rewarding.
2: When you hear participants, members say that, gosh, that must make you proud. And so
1: your eyes light up, echoes. Yeah, huge. The way we do it is is. Sorry, what drives us is to hear the stories for the men. We introduce a circle of trust every week. Somewhere between five and ten men will step forward every week and uh, have the confidence and trust in us and the other members that they want to share their story. Next week you go and you think back to last week, going, God, there was ten last week. There can't be more this week. Twelve will step forward and tell their story. And everybody's story just pulls on the heartstrings so much. Like last week we had... We have men from 28 countries, six different continents that come down. So we had a guy from Nepal come down last week and he didn't even take part in the exercise. He just stood at the side of the group and watched the exercises take part. And we went over and we were speaking to him after, and he was sharing his story with us. He was saying that he lost eight friends in Nepal um, during COVID. His father has cancer. His father's coming to Australia to try to get treatment, but he he works from home uh, and doesn't have doesn't have uh, social circles. So he saw this on ABC. He saw W nine on ABC, and he said, "That's the community I want to be part of." And you could almost see him over the over the duration of the morning, just right. He was the last to leave, and he was just going around and speaking to people. So just for people who
2: aren't in Sydney. Just the, the distance. So he drove from Parramatta to Maroubra. Yeah, that's a decent drive. Yeah,
1: and, and he's not uncommon. We've we've quite a few people come travel an hour to get there every morning, but he, he travel an hour to get there. He'll travel more to get back because you're traveling at six o'clock in the morning versus uh, rush hour. But you just hear stories like that every week. We've we've a good friend of ours now that is got stage four cancer. Uh, and he said that W&I, he's been open telling his story in the circle of trust uh, at all the points through his journey. Uh, but he says that community, social connection and exercise has been really crucial uh, as part of his treatment. And he's determined he'll beat it and he's got a great mindset around it and share the stories. we We did a. We went to Kosciuszko for four days last year. A good friend, Kieran Gribben, was with us. So the sing songs at night were, 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 uh, were oh. epic. So they were. <laughs> he, he's just
2: a talented, lovely, lovely person. And just so humble. Yeah. He gets the guitar and you go, you're the fucking lead singer <laughs> yeah. for excess. No swear. Yeah. Again, oh, he that's oh. <laughs> When he performs, yeah. he steps into it. And that's really interesting. Yeah, like it's he, watching
0: he, him change into a yeah. performer. Yeah, and he like, just steps back and he's the yeah, normal lad. But yeah, I can identify the piece when I'm playing, you know, stepping into that jumper and you just something happens to you. It's like a, it, and watching someone else do that from a performance point of view was, yeah, don't it, uh, Kosciuszko. Sorry, man. Yeah.
1: No, no. Yeah. Go for it. He's one of life's gentlemen as well, outside of being really talented. But at, at Kosciuszko we had 25 men, we called it the Not A Retreat Retreat because we were planning it and we were going, this is starting to sound like a retreat, man. We no, it's not a retreat. Uh, so we called it the Not A Retreat Retreat, but uh, one of the exercises that all the men had to do was chat about their three H's, which is uh, somewhat famous Real in this. Hardship. Yeah. Hero, Hero Hardship. Highlight. yeah Hardship yeah, 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 Hero Hardship Highlight. Uh, Ray McLean. Ray has Mm -hmm. had
2: such an influence. Caitlin Bassett, the former captain of the Australian Diamonds netball team we spoke to Seabass not long ago as well and she said Ray McLean has had a real influence on her. I know Dave Misson some of the work that Misso and I have done are uh, using the Triple H and, and we're doing it at Manly Eagles as well so uh, Ray McLean you have had a big impact on so many people. Yeah.
1: Well that that was the circle of trust on steroids. Basically every man had to step forward. They had 10 minutes rough guideline to speak around their hero their hardship, their highlight. They could bring along Photos or audio or videos or whatever they wanted. Uh, Tag was the first to go. I was the second, so we, maybe we set the train. But every mom broke down crying. So that every mom was sharing their story. I cried about. I, I thought I would cry about my hero, and I ended up crying about my hardship. You know, I was crying at other people's stories. There was one of the a, a great W nine man, beautiful man, Ronan was there, and he was speaking around the impact his mothers had on his life. So then from the top, that really resonated with me. So from the top of Kosciuszko, I sent my mother a text message about why mum is my hero. And I see attributes of mum that she probably hadn't seen in herself, to be honest. And everybody thought dad and mum are my heroes, but everybody thought dad was my hero. They didn't realize mum, because I'd be quite like dad and mum's stoic and determined and strong, you know? So I told her why she's my hero. Then the next time I was back in Ireland, the text message that I sent her is framed in four different places of the house, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is potentially overkill, but it, was, <laughs> but it was the power of that message, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, it's powerful. Well, I
2: I am one of those people, like, I speak a lot on podcasts, you know, I, I entertain for parts of my career. But then when I go to something, I step back. Like, I sit at a conference up the back. Are there any questions? I never ask questions because, you know, I just I, – I'm either – Educating, performing, or I'm just sitting back. This morning, I wanted to step forward. Something was happening. I'm going, I want to share my story. Like, it was so powerful that I really wanted to step forward. And that was a piece of – we actually didn't do it initially. We actually – when we were
0: starting it, we were having um – you know, exercise, beach, and then coffee it was a coffee chat, and then we introduced it uh, probably a year ago now, you know, and, uh, and we were very conscious of prepping it first and setting it up, but it is, it's extremely powerful, and you, you want to actually share, and it's a moment in, when you see people being vulnerable and willing to step forward and short of vulnerability, it gives you confidence to be able to do that we know we've got something that's very powerful and very strong and we want people and anyone that's listening to get in touch and help us set up chapters around the country. Like, There's no reason we can't do it around the world. You know, it's, it's a basic concept and we're very clear to start around keeping it free and accessible and easy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and we talk about high performance, the majority of high performance things that I've been involved in are very clear on their purpose and value and where they want to get to. And we're very clear on that and very simple and, we're, we, we almost cry for help every time we get an opportunity to try and get people in to say, well, I want to help you. I want to set one up in Melbourne or
2: WA or wherever it is. So please do get in touch. Or well, we have a number of executives who have a number of you know, high performers, high net worth individuals who listen to this podcast. So if you're listening to this and you haven't been moved by these two, what's going on? <laughs> two, if you want to support them, because one thing I was thinking this morning, you, you get coffee for everyone. Who pays for the coffee?
1: The guys pay for the coffee. Yeah, it's completely funded by. We the did area. for the first year. Yeah. And started, uh,
2: started Started <laughs> leaking the pockets a bit. <laughs> well, I am a
0: tight ass. <laughs> <laughs> so each yeah.
2: chapter uh, member pays for the
1: coffee, or does each person just rotate? So we've we've got a Patreon style model that people can donate five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, and as long as there's enough money to cover the coffee, we we never run a. You can come and you had your coffee this morning and you, you may not have paid for it but or anybody else. Come have a coffee, even if you can't afford it, come down and have a coffee. We'll cover the cost. So
2: back to the high net worth individuals who are listening to this. A free podcast, getting great info from two great lads, cracking on. If, if people want to connect with you, if they want to support you, I, I would love to see a large organisation give you guys a shitload of money, zeros, to... Take this to the masses. I'd love every country town has some sort of network like this. How do they get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, wnow.com.au is the website and contact form and there and it comes straight through to tag and ourselves. I, I love your ambition that it should be in every town in Australia. We love Mansheds. sheds. We think Mansheds is a is a fabulous organization. There's more men sheds in Australia than McDonald's. I love that fact. But Men Sheds is targeted at men 65 and above, and they do brilliant work. We want to catch the demographic below that, and we want to be as big as men's sheds. Uh, funny, aside, when we started this, we just wanted to help one man. And then I said, right, we've helped one man. That's probably me or probably you, probably both of us. Let's help ten men. And then the elite sportsman comes in and kicks my arse and says, we're going to help a million men. And then a couple of weeks ago he said, why can't we help 10 million men, you know, so it's the, we want to go at this and scale. We know it's a program that works. We've surveyed our members, 98% of them have said that it had a significant impact on their physical and mental health. 96% of them said it's uh, helped them find a deeper um, source of connection. And the stat that I really like, 60% of them have said, if it wasn't for W now, they would not be part of another group like this. So all the good stats that are happening, if it wasn't for this, they're they're null and void. 10 million, men. That's the
2: big, yeah. audacious goal. Yeah, why not?
1: You know, I, I see the the power in
0: the group and the power Look at in your, your eyes have. light up. <laughs> you just going, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, <it's,
2: laughs> it. I, I can, it's... Have a big
0: goal, yeah, let's go after it, you know it's it's I see the value in every every day and every Wednesday I see the value and I'm buzzing after it every Wednesday myself, you know and I know Min you know, and, and the impact and the numbers that we've just by surveying people gives us the confidence that it's working and it's, it's like I go back to the point before it's simple. Why not have it available for people that need it in small communities in a city of six million people, I can't get my head around it. there's people lonely. What the fuck are we doing as a human race to have so many people lonely in a city of six million people? Let's get off our ass in canberra and do something about it. And that was probably the driving force for, for myself. It was a real carrot going, well, you know what I've got I'm not going well. people aren't doing well. Let's go and do something about it and, and, and the cold face of it I feel is not enough being done, and that's exactly what we're doing
2: many politicians listening to this as well <laughs> now I, i've got a provocative question or it's a real question i thought in prep. if i'm a female listening to this come on guys what do yeah. i do because you know yeah. I'm, I'm drinking the kool-aid <laughs> 10 million men Look, you're both looking a little bit squirmish no, great, great
1: great great question we we wanted the great w to be more like a woman's group than a man's group you know like a grip that is afraid are saying is drop your body armor. So drop your body armor, have real conversations, support each other, help each other. So we model W now more in the circles that our wives uh, would swim in than than ourselves necessarily. Interestingly, we get most of our referrals Mm -hmm. come from wives and girlfriends and partners saying, hey, Jimmy needs this, can Jimmy need that, right? So we get a lot of wives saying, yeah, you need to get off your arse and get down to that. But now we're starting to get the opposite. We're starting to get a woman coming to saying, "Can we do a W now, women's group?" So that's definitely in the planning. Uh, I would say in the short term, uh, we're actually looking for. Organizations that look like us that are female-led and point them towards that there, and then reciprocate that back and forward. So,
2: okay. yeah, I, I was wondering that. Yeah, I'm sure you're been, been, been a bit been, of a journey. Yeah, we've been that a yeah. bit as well.
1: We'll <laughs> just have to change our logo and. <laughs> it's uh, going to be the hair on top. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> just make it neutral. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but but it's so true. Like social isolation, loneliness, suicide doesn't discriminate. Uh, we, yeah. we we don't own them as men. Yeah. It's affecting society as a whole at the minute. So if we can help create a society that is more open caring loving with each other
2: i get that some men what you're creating is psychological safety yeah which is the bedrock of trust to open up and talk about highs lows and everything else in between i get that some men would feel more comfortable just with men in the group so yeah it's an interesting dynamic if you did have a mixed group would that change the dynamic
1: yeah i've I've thought the same as well i i I definitely think There's room for men's groups in the world and there's room for women's groups in the world. And then there's there's room for both of them to come together. So the ideal would be to have both run independently on Wednesday mornings, but then have group events for people to come together. Something I love about WNI is the ripple effect. You know, we want to create better men, better husbands, better fathers. So by seeing men come down on the beach and share on a Wednesday morning, and it's not just a Wednesday morning. We've active WhatsApp groups and events going on around the side, but they're having an impact on their wife at home. They're having an impact on their girlfriend through some testimonials, through the survey. One of the guys shared with us that his wife has said that he is the best version of himself on a Wednesday versus any other day of the mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. Right? Uh, because of what he does in the morning. So I think we're having an impact across children, women, men.
0: Yeah, if we can learn a small bit on how to be better communicators from our female friends, yeah. that's that was a big driving force on, on the whole... Beginning of it, like how can we teach men to be great communicators, like our female race are. It's you know, and, and I sometimes struggle with it because we can do it and we can communicate. And I don't like people saying, "Oh, men don't communicate." Well, we do. We just choose not to, I think, and you choosing different environments not to do it. And that's part of the breaking down the barrier with men and
2: communicating. Mm. Well, and you're showing them how to do it, yeah. and you're getting the reward. I couldn't help but have a little. Side thought, Dave, when you were saying that, that W now participants are having a lot more sex on a Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> Have you yeah, saved up the phone yeah, oh, My wife's listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time in the podcast we call Performance Uncovered. So, David Eccles, Ty Canelli. Well, normally, we ask thirteen questions, but with the two of you, I'm going to cut that down to five. Just answer the first thought that comes to your mind, and we'll go. Eccles first. We'll go top of Ireland and then we'll go down to (laughs) County Kerry. So question number one, what song do you know all of the lyrics to?
1: I'm a child of the 90s so absolutely master plan by Oasis is what I want to say. The reality is I'm also the father of three young kids and every time we get in the car the playlist has to come on so it's probably... George Ezra shotgun at the minute but uh, um, for my, from for my own music taste it would be anything by OS's I'd blame
2: my kids on my eclectic taste yeah. as well but, uh, I've done that for years Ty, what song?
0: You've got me going, I was going to say um, Tina Turner, Simply the Best it Was a, when I was younger I used to love that with my mates but it's probably Happy Birthday
1: I'll say it so much <laughs> yeah, Kieran Gribben had him singing Fields of Attenray <laughs> But uh, cozy Oscars, so, um. and it's
0: funny, Kieran does that a yeah. bit. You know, <laughs> the uncomfortable stepping in it. Music's just not my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, totally and, and and like I cannot sing, and I'm not musical whatsoever. Um, so for me to step in and sing a song is probably the most challenging older depth I've ever been in my life, and. Uh, I don't know if I felt relieved
2: or, or, or joy, joyful after well, doing that. It, if everyone had a few beverages, they would yeah, really care. Right. So question number two, what book has had the biggest impact on your life?
1: Uh, absolutely, Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch album, So I've read it uh, countless times in my life. It's the gift that I give all the time to people, but there's just so many life lessons in it. Learn how to, learn how to give love and receive love. You have to learn how to die to live. It's just a wonderful it's book. It's a
2: great book. It's a great book.
1: I don't think I've ever read
0: a book from start to finish. Um, the one that's resonated the most, I continue to pick up numerous times, Atomic Habits, I've, and that's more recently than anything else. So I think my attention span is not great for books. I'm good with podcasts, people telling me, but I've never been a big reader. But Atomic Habits, I seem to keep going back to it. James talking about, um, you know, the systems and, and uh, you know, which resonates with me from a football perspective from a footballer about doing the basics the one percent is consistently building your systems and your processes leading to your outcome
2: i'm going to link atomic habits by james clear to your business he sold 10 million copies like there we oh, go there's some subliminal <laughs> no. messages there That's probably why you're tapping like into big james question number three what do you do to recharge
1: i go on long runs so i used to run for time but now it's i run the time is reversed almost, you know, instead of trying to run fast, try to run slow, a nice 10K plus, or just playing with the kids at home. To be honest, I have a eight-month, a three-year-old, a five-year-old. I find it really helpful just to be present when I start rolling around with my eight-month on the floor and my three-year-old on the floor. So playing with the kids are going for a long run.
2: You're hectic at home, aren't you? Mm. we
0: are right in the dirty nappies and the vomit and shit everywhere, aren't you? We've just gone past that which is great i'm starting to get my life back <laughs> a small bit i probably would have said exercise um up to a few years ago but i, re- I recharge by talking to my wife you know i find it really we have started walking nearly every second day now in the morning before kids wake up and that really helps reset um set me up or any problems or issues or whatever it just helps me to regrown just talking to my wife so she's dealing with a bit of stuff i suppose from my shit <laughs>
2: Question four of our Adapted Performance Uncovered is, who has been your most influential mentor?
1: Can I choose a couple? Can I choose a few? Uh, diff- different points in my life. Absolutely. My, my father in my, in my early years, community man, loving man, uh, gave more than ever asked, so absolutely dad. Next to that would be my best friend Phil that I talked about earlier. Phil was the first friend that I ever met that there was no BS around him. He just loved, he was called Gorgeous Phil. He was a good looking rooster, but it was more to do with his personality. He really suited being called Gorgeous Phil. So he taught me kind of that it's okay not to be the alpha male all the time, that it's okay to be that. Cynthia, my wife, anytime I get carried away, Cynthia is just brilliant at grounding me again and having real conversations and staying focused. And she can read me better than I can read myself. If I'm feeling down or anything, sin can always pick up on that. And then lastly, especially over the last four years, it's the big man to my right here. I've never felt so much ease with anybody to chat to anything about life. And uh genetically he's got a big heart (laughs) and his father had a big heart but i've never met somebody with so much love inside them but so much drive and ambition as well so the big man here
2: thanks man i love seeing the connection between you two like Mm. i just when he was saying that i could just feel the 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 connectivity Mm.
0: yeah it's great it is it's um i wish every man could feel what we feel
2: together you know it is very powerful it's a bit like when Harry met Sally. I don't <laughs> know I don't want to look and think <laughs> about us. Whereas I want what they're having.
1: <laughs> it's, a bit like tw- it's a bit like the movie Twins, you know? You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeFiggo.
0: here. be back. That's going <laughs> to make uh, the highlights <laughs> <way off>. Yeah. off. T- your most influential um, mentor or mentors? Yeah, um, my parents, uh, I think my my, my dad... Was a really shining light for me as a young man growing up, and um, you know, did things the right way and, and, and was trying to impart that on me as a, as a young man. And in more my sporting days, it's, it'd be Roozy, um and, and Ray McLean, you know, Roosie and, and how to um, not take yourself so seriously and not to take life so seriously and, and have a lot of perspective on things, but also have be a driving unbelievable competitor in, a, in an arena that's highly demanding it was an unbelievable mentor for me and, and my wife um, as I said before just, uh, she seems to just say the right things at the right time I was just talking to her last night in, in bed before we come so what's high performance to you and she goes nothing and I was just trying to explain and she's in the, in, in the banking world in the finance world and, and doing quite well and you know it was just a, I live my life kind of in high performance and I've I've got a high performing brain because of where I've been I, I review I preview everything I'm consistently in that process mindset we do
2: that for 15 years in a team it's like every week who are we playing yeah. play yeah. look in the rearview mirror what worked what didn't what do we do next time repeat 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 and it sets me up on my day and I, initially
0: I kind of went away from it and I, I ran from it a bit because I wanted to separate my identity from it around oh, I don't want anything to do with sport and, and it was on, actually David had said it to me he goes well that's a chapter in your life and, and and it's in a chapter in a book. Well, no, let's write some new pages. And and it wasn't David said that. And and that's why we actually end up calling the name of each new region a chapter. Because the identity piece that I had was that tied to that and I wanted to move on. And um yeah, it's it's helped me and I consistently still do it.
2: We'll keep on that thread. Final question. What is your definition of high performance?
0: Just high performing for me is around doing things better or more efficiently than, than others. It's pretty simple. Um, any team that I've been involved with, there's been a real high level of, I suppose, expectations, but more so around the clarity of purpose and values. Mm-hmm. Any team I've been ever worked with, and the better ones, have got a real clarity of purpose, and, and they're able to tie into that and um, I often see teams and individuals saying I want to which is fine to reach for the goal of that unbelievable success of win a premiership let's say in AFL but there's 18 teams in AFL and only one get it and the better ones are around sustained success and the byproduct is winning the flag you know kind of a byproduct for us is 10 million people you know but the sustained success of what we're doing is, is very important and I feel that's what high performance is
2: for your definition of high performance.
1: Yeah, I don't come from the elite sports background, but for me it's really simple. It's keeping if I can keep all the plates of life spinning, I think. So if I can be the best father I can be, be engaged and be present with the kids, be the best husband I be, be the best friend I can be, and then keep going at work and doubling I as well. So it's keeping making sure that all the plates keep spinning and none of them really fall over.
2: Mm. Fuck. Like my <laughs> i like <laughs> it. Fuck. Fuck.
1: <laughs> I've enjoyed today. <laughs> This has been a gift. Yeah, it was
2: great. Thank Thank you. you Thank you. you. We we had a rough outline and we've gone (laughs) off (laughs) pace to come back. I feel – I just feel privileged to be seeing what you're creating and to to have a little glimpse into it and to experience it. So in wrapping up, is there a message you'd like – to give people, a final message you'd like to give people. Or you can do the flip, you can ask me a question, which I sometimes do. But I think it's probably more appropriate for a final message from Irish I'll ask, one, I'll ask you and I'll ask you And What have you gained from coming the last couple of times you've came? Brown fat. <laughs> 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 it's a nerdy answer because when you shiver, <laughs> you increase your brown fat nice. <laughs> yeah. it's That's a good question. I'm also trying to get more comfortable around love and not what we learn as young kids. I love her, I love him, depending, you know, denomination, male, male, female, female, male, female. Mm. So it's not just love as far as a physical sense, it's that intimacy and, and love of others. So I'm exploring this more and then I see you two do it and I go, fuck, you're clever. And I know there's more design to this than you're putting on the table today. Well done to both of you to, to create that space. So what I'm getting out of it, well, I wanted to share this morning and I'll share with you now. And on the weekend, uh, Tim Zo had a 70-second a, a boxing fight against Carlos Ocampo and I took my mum and dad. And I never thought I'd be taking my mum and dad in their mid-70s to a, a <laughs> boxing fight. Dad maybe, but mum came along. And then, after Tim's partner Alexandra said, oh, "Andrew, look, come down and uh, Tim would like to meet your parents." And my dad was like, "It's like he was 10. And Dad has recently had some health complications as well. Uh, fibroids, which ultimately leads to fibrosis. Um, and he he dropped his guard with me. You fuckers <laughs> this is meant to be about you and he took me to the airport on Monday and he said Andy I'm scared and yeah you know, I'm not sleeping well and we've got him a specialist so it's the first time I've thought that my strong dad is is going down that path And he said to me, thank you for taking me into your world. He said, that was awesome yesterday. And I got a photo with mum and dad, and he's been showing everyone. And I know it was just a moment for him, but it it was a moment that it was for me to see how much that gave him. (laughs) Fuckers. <laughs> awesome man! Thank you for sharing, man. It's awesome. That's awesome, Izzy. Awesome, so, a combination of I think me coming to grips with mortality, but also seeing the joy and I, I'm a lot of what I am because of my dad, and we haven't always got on. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have that struggle. I'm much more like my mom, but I can just see so much he's done for me. So I, I think you too. I've only caught up on this in what we're doing but in, in a combination with some of the stuff that I'm teaching and exploring, but going to your chapter as a participant and feeling it, it's different to when you're teaching something. So I felt it this morning when that young man was talking about sobriety. So, yeah, I've gained a lot more from being involved with you guys than I realised.
0: That's the power of it. it I, I think... We feel a lot of people, they're afraid to bring people down or they don't, and then they see it and feel the power of the whole thing, and it's just magical. It is truly magical, and sometimes it's hard for us to quantify it, but
1: it's such a magical thing being able to share, as you've just done. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Like I was going to the beach this morning, my uncle Pat back in Ireland gets buried today it's his funeral today so I was speaking to my uh my cousin who lives in Melbourne but I was speaking to back in Ireland uh on my way to the beach at 5 a.m this morning but um would you just say they really resonated because uh Benny was speaking to me around the the memories and special moments that he had with his dad and what you just created at the weekend like I certainly remember the the Memories I've had with my dad, and you're creating you're creating those photos in the head for life, you know. So, thanks for sharing. You set me off there as well, but um, but 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 give me (laughs) a hug, (laughs) yeah.
2: Thank you, man. Normally, I am the one that asks questions that make people cry, but um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful movement you've created. So, for again, people listening to this, and come if you've got some cash and you really want to make an impact, go and attend one of the chapters, but then open up the cash. Open up, give, give these guys support. Let's let's take this to 10 million plus.
1: Yeah, we're ready to pack everything in tomorrow from a professional point of view because we know this works. We know this, we want this to be our legacy. It's working on four chapters with 500 men at the minute, but we can see the impact it has on people. And it doesn't take, you don't have to be an elite sportsman to start up a chapter. Uh, I love our Gold Coast chapter. The guy that leads that is uh, bipolar. Uh, would be would be introverted by nature, but he shared in the group a couple of days ago that he loves that this. Has given him the confidence. He's leading the exercises on the beach. You know, so if if you if this has resonated at all, if you've got a, a question about it, just reach out through the website wna.com.au and we'll get you up and running. Come down to one of the chapters or start your own. Come with an
0: Irish accent. Yes
1: That's no, no. not
0: Irish, <laughs> Irish You need know, to have an Irish
2: accent does he, an, yeah. does, <laughs> does he still have an Irish accent? No. He? <laughs> oh It does I find, yeah. When, yeah. I find yeah. when you lads get together It, it becomes more pronounced yeah. and, and I've loved getting together And what's become more pronounced Is what you're doing Is is an amazing movement I'm looking forward to Coming along to more chapters But can I just say wholehearted Thank you to both of you Today for, for turning up But just for sharing so much Thank you man Thank yeah, you amazing I love
1: your so. blogs love, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love you <laughs>